0: have you seen fantastic beasts no i haven't seen it yet. i don't wanna (laughs) i don't wanna you pirate that and watch it already okay okay if you're not gonna see it if you're not gonna see it i'm gonna make my one one comparison now between fantastic beasts and rogue one that i think you'll be able to. all right
1: i think i'm never gonna see fantastic beasts i think i i think i'm just not gonna
0: see it dude i don't blame you i don't blame you I gave you the cliff notes. It's, it's it's shitty. Listeners it's shitty. Spoiler alerts incoming, but honestly you want to spoil this. You don't want to you don't want to watch it. I'm saving you an hour of your life. Okay. And we we talked about how bad the fan service is in Fantastic Beasts and just how it's a bad movie and it's a bad Harry Potter movie. Um okay, one of the th- this I hate this. And and Fantastic Beasts gets this so wrong and Rogue One gets it so right. Fantastic Beasts has token minority characters. And this drives me crazy. Everyone in Fantastic Beasts is white. Except for, oh, there's President of the United States or whatever. And she's a black woman. And she has, which is fantastic. You know, of course, more diversity in movies. This is great. Um, but she is a completely flat character. She's got like five lines in the whole movie. She's like the only African-American woman uh, in the movie. And it's very clear that they just had this dummy role that like oh we need the president to come in and say good job and to give them the mission at the start oh let's let's cast a black woman for this and you're just like what this is this is just it makes you feel gross inside and it's just i if gross rogue one is the complete opposite here you have minority characters um that have the biggest roles in the movie they're actual characters um there it's not like this quick grab at having a a minority in your movie i just hate that
1: yeah no i i love that star wars can do that too um and have minority characters and it feels in universe too like i'm all for absolute diversity in movies like absolutely we should have um you know uh i think it's very important to have representative uh People in movies, and I'm not talking about like, you know, the, I'm sure studios and box offices they do this. Like we have to have, you know, x amount of whatever characters to get the to get the you know Asia vote and or the Asia money and the Asia box office and the Southern box office and these things. Um, but Star Wars feels like in place. Like it not only adds to uh, everyone's movie watching experience and like societal equity but it also like enhances the universe of Star Wars because you're you're in this galaxy of like all these different planets and all these different races and all these different um ethnicities and backgrounds and things like that and so it's like you know I would be I would be even more disappointed if Star Wars was less diverse uh because you know it, it, it there's no reason it should be like we right. should we should have it for the societal equity in our own world and Star Wars should be super diverse there, we go back and forth on 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 Lando Calrissian, but I think he's like an amazing character. I think he's like absolutely perfect for the universe of Star Wars. Like he's just like one of the best characters of all time. Um, and it's not because he was a black eye, but it definitely is. You know, adds to the mythology of Lando Calrissian that he's a black eye. Um, and now we have uh, Donald Glover. Um, mm. Who's gonna be the in the Lando movie or in the Han movie, whatever, whatever it comes out? It amazing. I was like, yes, that sounds that sounds great. I, I I really like where this is going. Like I'm apprehensive because you know don't don't like don't screw up, don't screw it up. I don't want you to screw it up, but I'm I'm rooting for all this. I really want it to work
0: out. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about that too. It's just yeah, for Fantastic Beasts, it's a total checkbox, you know. Oh, here we can give the yeah. the black woman this role, and we have a black woman president. Look how progressive we are. And it's like, no, this is not actually a character. You could have cast anyone for this, and this was just your way of saying, yeah, we did that. We hit that box, too. And you can have your social justice warriors tweet about it on Twitter. I have my first YouTube video. We'll put that that in the show notes. Woo!
1: I did Um, it. Yeah, so uh, that BMW, though.
0: This is something that I don't know what it is, but when my parents go to, uh, on a vacation, my stepdad goes into the dark corners of the interwebs and finds the cheapest car in that city. Yes. Whether it's... Yeah, the
1: offshoot, offshoot, enterprise, rent a car that's like, you know, 40 miles outside of town. Then they have like three cars.
0: (laughs) Yes. Yes. Yeah. And now I'm convinced that one thing you should budget for on a a trip is... If you, if you need a car on a trip and you're going to rent a car, budget your money so that you spend a good chunk getting a good car. It doesn't have to be a BMW, um, but man, it, driving's fun. You don't want to be in a crappy car, um, and it makes driving and getting where you're going part of the trip rather than an, an inconvenience. I think that's why people do it. I think people think, oh, I'm trying to fly there as cheap as possible. I'm trying to get to the my relative's house as cheap as possible. I'm trying to keep that cheap so I can have fun on the vacation, and it's like... I think in some circumstances, you should probably spend more money on the actual travel part. So, if you get a good deal on a first-class ticket, take it and have fun on your flight. If you get, if you find a good deal on a nice car, um, definitely take it. So, that's what we did with no, this. No,
1: I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you.
0: Yeah. So, that's what we did with um, this BMW. So, we didn't have anything to do one of the days. And I have really not seen much of San Francisco. Um, so, uh, our friend Tyson... Uh, recommended this new app that's only launched in a couple cities, and San Fran's one of them, and it's called Get Around. And you go on there and you search for a car, and then you rent cars by the hour, and it's super cheap. Um, we could have gotten like a cheap Honda or something for like eight to fifteen dollars an hour. Uh, probably even, I, I'd say you could probably do it for. Ten dollars an hour i feel like i would have to look at the app again but i feel like that's about right but so we rented i don't know the model but we rented a really nice convertible bmw with red leather interior for 18 dollars an hour i mean that's that i mean so we we had it for like five hours like so we had a car for a half a day and we drove all over san francisco and we had to fill it up with gas um and it cost us around 100 bucks Do you have to do a deposit
1: on this stuff or, I mean, like what happens if you just drive away with this car?
0: I have no idea. It was, it was honestly, Tyson and I were talking about it and we were like, yeah, if I had a BMW, I wouldn't put it on this app because I was even telling Tyson, I was like, wait, we have to go, we're going to go like meet this guy and like get his car. And Tyson's like, no, they, they park it at a parking garage and there's like a valet there. And so we showed up to this parking garage and the valet, and we were like, Hey, we rented this car and get around. And he was like, okay. And he handed us the keys. And we, like, were super serious, you know, and we got in the car and we just immediately broke out laughing because it yeah. is easily a $75,000 BMW, red leather, neck vents, seat warmers, aren't like, every, like, little bell and whistle. Um, it had, like, the high fidelity sound, like, 8.1 surround or something. Um yeah so we broke out laughing we get in the car we drive out the first thing we do is we pull into the first parking lot and we hit the button to fold up the convertible top and yeah it's like a full like the the top just like lifts up and like folds up and like puts itself away and then you just drive off and it's it was that was a fun so
1: who owns this car who's like who's like you know I'm, i'm assuming they own this car either they're they're like renting it out like an airbnb kind of thing like they use this day-to-day and then they you know when they're back in san francisco they like pick up their car uh or like they just own this car to rent it out maybe they like make a profit like you know they're just like renting out this car like they're renting out an apartment
0: yeah i think it's like
1: they pay the mortgage on the car or they pay the car payment and then they make enough in like other people renting it that they can yeah that's crazy right
0: i mean that's that'd be my guess too i mean I would think, you know, this guy maybe lives downtown San Francisco. He's in a tech job. He's got good money. He bought a BMW because he likes to get around town or travel every once in a while. But Monday through Friday at work, you know, most days he doesn't need the car. So get $18 an hour for it in a parking garage. But like I said before, if I had a BMW, I don't think I would be doing this because we were two like 24 year old guys that got in a BMW and like drove across the Golden gate bridge like all i'm saying is we didn't drive that thing like a prius (laughs) like we definitely we definitely put it in sport mode and had a good time passing people on the highway
1: (laughs) yeah that's what i can imagine like if you don't have to put like a massive deposit on these cars then you can kind of just you really don't really have an incentive to not just fucking do whatever you want
0: just like let's
1: fling it into the bay like (laughs) who cares it's not our car but (laughs) it scares the hell out of me
0: yeah i mean the opposite would be like if you had a tesla where it like tracks everything it does you know i mean if, if i had a tesla like i would consider doing that um like putting it in one of these garages and i would just put a note in the car that you know i get a report out of everything right. this car does and if you if you accelerate faster than x or go above 90 miles an hour like i will be um like filing filing a claim through the app but you obviously yeah. can't do that with this bmw so i mean yeah we were too 24 year old guys that like ripped this BMW through downtown San Francisco and across the golden gate bridge. And then we just dropped it off and paid 60 bucks. Wow. That
1: blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the, uh, I mean, I wonder what the depreciation is like per mile Mm. on a BMW like that. And like, you know, if it's, it's gotta be, it's gotta be like relevant to how much it costs, uh, to rent it. You know, like if, if these guys put a hundred miles on your, put a hundred miles on your BMW in like a day or two, like, yeah. you know, that's not nothing. And if you're doing that like five days a week, th- this is some pre- some serious depreciation on your car.
0: Oh yeah. And I mean, we, I mean, we were responsible. We weren't stupid with it. Like we never went more than a hundred miles an hour. We never like gotten a crash, like where we were never near getting in an accident. You know, we were pretty responsible. Yeah. I could only guess that m- most people wouldn't have been as responsible.
1: Yeah, once they're driverless and we have the commodification of transportation, then they'll just pick you up and drop you off and it'll be dirt cheap and you'll pay for it. You Like, th- this is what I'm worried about because, like, the, it's, it's like, ripe for the freemium model, right? Like, that you can, like, pay for your trip in ads. Like, if you just watch 10 ads while you're going somewhere, like, that pays for the trip. And you can just, like, monetize their time. And, like, I'm – it's like, fuck that. I don't want to see ads. Like, I'm I'm paying – like, let me pay for my transportation. So I'm, like, I'm hoping that there's still, like – You know, freemium models of and then you can, you know, subscription models of, of transportation, because right now, like owning a car in a city is just like the last I'm looking out my window right now at all these parked cars and like in this empty lot, like one, the real estate of this empty lot is pretty high, like especially with these high rises going up. This is this plot of land is worth many, many thousands of dollars. And right now there's just like some cars sitting in it. Half of it's empty. You know, it's just a paved lot that they have to snow plow. And most of these people like either get the spots with their houses or pay like 20, 50 bucks a month probably for their spots in addition to their lease. And like, it's just like, this is not an efficient use of space. And then I park on the street, which is a pain in the ass itself. I paid $200 in tickets last year and I was pretty diligent about it. And and there's like all these perverse incentives from the, the city of Madison. Like they, the street parking pass here is only 20 bucks for the year. So you have your zone and you pay 20 bucks and you put it on your car and then you can park anywhere in that zone on the street parking that's uh and you follow the signs and you can and it's like 20 bucks a year. And so like that incentivizes as many people as possible to get their cars out there and uh and then like that and then they just hammer you with tickets. Like that that's where they make their money is like so just on my street uh, and on the other side of the street is the garage where they keep a lot of the uh, parking uh, enforcement Jeeps with all the cameras and stuff. So like my street's the first one to get checked in the morning. So you just get nailed. Like if it's 9.02 and you're like, it's trash day, like you're boom, $35 ticket. Like there's no arguing it. There's no nothing. Uh, and so you have opposite side on like on trash day. You have like, I can't park on my side on Thursday and the far side on Friday. And then you have uh, a 48-hour continuous parking. So you have to move your car every 48 hours, even if you have the street parking pass. If you don't have the street parking pass, it's every two hours. Um, So 48 hours, uh, you have to move it. And then except for it doesn't include Sunday, I don't think, or city holidays, uh, and then they have snow emergency days, which, like, they'll declare before 9 p.m. and then 1 to 7 a.m., like, even odd, depending on the day. Like, if it's an odd day, you have to park on the odd side of the street, and they'll tow you. Uh, but this winter, it's hilarious because now the perverse incentives are coming all the way back around to the city. is because there were so many cars that didn't follow the opposite side street parking rule uh they couldn't tow them like they couldn't like there was too many and they couldn't like tow one car if it's like sandwiched in between two other cars and so like you know they would have just been towing cars all night and they they would have never plowed them anyway and then like the the impounds don't have room for all these cars uh and then there's been mass complaints of like everybody gets towed so it was just like we it was like a sit-in it was like a car sit-in like nobody moved their car we all got tickets but um like nobody moved their car, and so they couldn't plow. And it's like, well, this is what happens when you incentivize like way more street parking spots, uh, or way more street parking cars than there are spots. And uh, yeah, it's just it's. And I use my car like a couple times a week, maybe. But like not having it is like a huge pain as well. You know, it's it's like six of one, half a dozen the other. If I like want to Uber everywhere instead of driving a car, it's not your car. Like I own a car, so you know. I might as well use it. I might as well have it down here. Otherwise it's just, it's sitting in a driveway somewhere. But um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've thought about like getting rid of it and cause it's, it's so expensive cause you just get hammered on tickets. Um, you know, and I drive to work. It's like really cold and works like it's not, too, Yeah, I can walk. It's maybe 15 minute walk to work, but it's, you know, through downtown and it was like negative five last week. And so, you know, having a car is really nice then, but <laughs> Yeah, this this whatever whatever we're doing with transportation right now does not
0: work. It's just so inefficient. Like, it, there's no wonder that all these little apps and new models are coming in because there's so much slack, you know. Yeah. Um, well, we have so many cars. Like, you need a car. Like, if you're a working person
1: uh, in a city, like, you know, the size of of Madison, like you kind of need a car to get around like you could you could take two buses to get where you're going um you might be able to take your bike like during the winter and that's a little bit hazy you know it's like if you live in the suburbs forget it like you you need a car like there's so many cars they just there's just a lot of cars and not enough space and not enough use they all just sit here right
0: that's the sad part when you really think about how much they sit. it's like um and this is where I kind of could see where this BMW guy might be, have been coming from where it's the kind of thing of like, we're thinking in the mindset of you buy a car and you want this thing to last as long as possible and you might own this for 15 years or something like that. But you know, a big part of that is that these cars aren't being used most of the day, all day. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe if you you get this, you get a BMW or something like this, and you know, for you, this is really going to be a two or three year car for you, and then you're going to trade it in or sell it or whatever. And obviously, you still wouldn't want to trash the car, but it's like the idea of like, why are there's no need to like preserve these things and, and own them as like a, a piece of property you own? Like, let's have the city yeah, have a hundred of them.
1: depreciates over time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let's have the city have a hundred of them, and let's just drive them into the ground. You know, this car is going to be driving. 24 hours, seven days a week for six months, and then maybe it has to go in and have like, be like totally redone. Which they obviously last longer than that, but like still, it's like let's put these things to work. Like if we're gonna make them, let's like. Right.
1: Yeah, I think it was a it was a pretty big uh, it was a pretty big uh, wool piece of wool that the auto companies pulled over pulled over our eyes, saying like everybody should own a car, and the car is like you know gonna be the staple of. Uh, Transportation for for forever, and like there's no better model than like all of us having this big hunk of steel that depreciates and sits in our that sits in our uh, in our lot.
0: Right. And and the tech is like facilitating this whole change, right? Because it just makes it so much easier. It acts as a middleman. You know, it, it can protect people on both sides. It gets the car to you. It may, you know they're networked. That stuff that couldn't have been done before. Like the network, no. right? And ta-
1: taxis are—I hate taxis. I've never taken a taxi that I liked. Yeah. Like you know, before Uber, like when I was going around New York and stuff. Like taxis just fucking suck. I hate it. And you—you <laughs> you pay with your card or you pay with cash, and there's all this tipping, and like yeah, it's just—it's not ideal.
0: Uh yeah, I'm glad that industry is just is dying. Um, I think I mean mm-hmm. we might be—I mean we'll probably get a car, but. I mean, I'll probably get a car. I'm sure, you, I mean, you as someone that likes cars, I, I see you owning another car in your life, but we might be one of the last generations where you're buying a car for yeah, a your new car. Yeah, for utility, you know, rather than like, I, I feel like I feel like 20 years from now, it might be like having a horse or something. It's like, oh yeah, I've got, yeah, a, for sure. I've got a BMW in the back shed. We take it out to the, the racetrack every once in a while and have fun, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, it's total, a total like, like yeah, luxury um, kind of niche thing to like own your own car. Like that's gonna that's gonna be weird to our grandkids, your grandkids.
0: Yeah, which (laughs) is a good thing. I think it's a good thing.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, especially because they all burn like uh, liquid that we pulled out of the ground, and then they set it on fire to go forward. I think, Uh, and they're super loud and gross and concentrated (laughs) like smog in a like street canyon uh, dense like hotter than normal city where everyone's just breathing in all this soot mm. yeah no it's 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 a horrible horrible <laughs> i mean it's 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 one of the uh, cars are like the cause of most of our large scale like engineering problems
0: I think one of the coolest things is going to be to see how cities change. Like you are saying how like mm-hmm. looking out your window, you see all these parked cars. Like just imagine looking out and there are no parked cars. Like a car is either driving... No, it's just a field. Or it's yeah. being fixed, you know. It, like that's the two states of a car. It's either driving people around and doing a job or it's in the underground car beehive nest of networked 1,000 mm-hmm. right. cars right. or it's being fixed and like let's not have them like on lining every street. Let's not have these giant parking lots everywhere. There was an article here in Denver about how um, new buildings are already changing like how much space they give to the parking lot. Like they're just not giving as much space to the parking lot. They're making it like a third of the size. They're making it, like 30% smaller and then they're doing like big drop-off zones for ride shares because so many people, that's just how they're getting around now and like it's great mm. for the, you know, property expensive and to put a big parking lot you know somewhere like Denver that's exploding yeah you want to avoid that at all costs
1: <laughs> yeah you take you take usable land in like a you know a metropolitan area which is expensive you fill it with concrete which is expensive to build and then you fill it with cars which are expensive to make that are just sitting there not being used which is also expensive this is all expensive and it's just like a big hunk of like raw material just like sitting in the middle of the city that nobody's using. That blows my mind. There's just a big hunk of steel and <sighs> concrete like in the middle of our city because we need it sometimes.
0: And why didn't that seem crazier before? Like why does that seem I so I don't know. It just seems so it like it seems so obvious now. But obviously it wasn't that obvious.
1: <laughs> Wait. I don't know. And you no, know, and and uh I think we're so set on like on especially uh urban suburban areas that like roads define city structure right you're like you're you're like next to a road always mm-hmm. and like roads are what we design everything else around like we have blocks which are roads, and then we have, like, highways, which are roads uh, above the other roads. And it's like, we're going to pave the whole thing, and, like, it's all about the mobility of the vehicle. And it's just like, what what could you do if we didn't have roads in cities? Like, what would they even look like? You know, where there's not roads everywhere, where there's not just, like, paved roads with, like, two lanes and a sidewalk on each side, like, what exists, what will exist in that space that is now free? I don't even know. Like, what could you put there? Are we going to just have, like... Little shops or people are going to have tiny houses like just super high density tiny houses or like I think you can do anything with that. And, And it's hard. It's even hard to think about because we're so set on cars and roads defining every suburban urban structure that we ever navigate. You know, where the where this big long road used to be that I live on, there's just going to be like a slip and slide. There's just going to be this giant <laughs> slip well, and
0: slide. I, I mean, these network cars still have to get places. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're still going to need roads. But yeah, I get what you're saying though, like that the share of our space that that infrastructure once was taking is going to be like halved. So, what on earth are we going to do with all this this space?
1: I don't think you need a road uh-huh. that goes in front of like every house though, you know? <laughs> like that's probably true like buses right right now when people take buses like you don't, it doesn't pick you up in front of your house like there's like you know 10 drop-off zones and you're within a block of wherever you need to go usually and so i don't i don't think you need and now you need them in front of people's houses because it leads up to their driveway usually or you know wherever they're parking and and or wherever they're getting dropped off um just because we need roads everywhere so you might as well like build around them. or like make them like I could see like a house facing the other way and just like not having a driveway. And just like I don't I don't need the road. So I don't know why that's there. Like, I don't need to like face my house towards the road like that doesn't I don't need that. I don't want to look out my front window into the road. I want to like look out towards the forest over there. So you just face your house the other way. <laughs>
0: You're just like I don't <laughs> care
1: about this road here. I don't need this. Make it green space. You know. Yeah. So, so you could have you could just hang out these like side streets.
0: Like, instead of it being a cul-de-sac where the cars can pull in and stuff, it's just, you know, a little cluster of houses and you have your own lot and then, at the you know, you walk to the end of the lot and there's like the road with the bus stop or like the, you know. Right. Yeah. We don't,
1: we're not, we're not road facing. Not every structure, not every dwelling and structure has to be road facing.
0: Right. And it would just be cool to live there. Yeah. And to not feel so... You know, the sidewalk and all that crap.
1: Right, right. Um, Right when you right when you exit my front door, you're in a paved uh concrete jungle. Like there's no it's just like everything's paved. It's either a walking path or a road, and that's it.
0: This is why um Singapore really interests me as a city. There's a really good um in the in Planet Earth season two, the last episode Mm -hmm. is about cities. And they the city they cover the most, and they have some amazing time lapses of it, is Singapore and all the stuff Singapore is doing to become like a green city and they, they're doing like the full you know like the buildings that are essentially green walls and like they made these giant metal trees with skywalks that plants are growing all over and planet earth talks about like how all the animals are moving back in and all this like la da stuff but it just looks cooler it looks like a happier place to be it looks like how I imagine the future to be like I, right. I don't I don't exactly. imagine the this... city
1: of the future looks like that
0: exactly I don't imagine this concrete jungle like you're describing I imagine it being hard to tell where a building starts and where it stops.
1: No, and and Minneapolis is – got skyways everywhere um connecting most of the buildings downtown which is cool so right right away you have some infrastructure to get rid of like roads because you don't have pedestrian traffic on them nearly as much especially in the winter it's mostly because of the winter because people don't want to go outside so you can walk from one end of downtown to the other just like going from building to building through skyways which is awesome uh i think that's you know super cool or you know tunnels maybe the boring company could get in on this
0: i understand is really going to be a great party tonight
1: once you just start eliminating the traffic need for roads once you start eliminating cars uh and mass and um pedestrian traffic you know at intersections then you can just kind of explore like these connected buildings and connected mm-hmm. areas and then have like you know Light rail that goes from one building to another, kind of like the airport. Like, you know, you have to take, if you're going to a different terminal, you take just like this little tram that goes back and forth. And like, I think, I think you could just, you could just completely change how we function in society with this kind of <laughs> stuff.
0: And I love how that changes everything. Like, it changes the social stuff. Like, we talked about this now as I've taken more and more Uber pool. Like, I really, really like it. I mean, mm-hmm. when you get on a bus, everyone avoids eye contact at all costs. And you don't talk to anybody, obviously. Something about the Uber pool, like it being a rideshare and it being like casual, like mm-hmm. something, you know, not, it's not, not every ride is like this, but like very often the driver tries to spark a conversation. Very often I'll get in and the driver like says hi, but then also the other passenger will say hi. Like, hey, what's yeah. up? How's your day going? And like, that's just like a cool interaction and it's not... Yeah. It's not all small talk. A lot of it's like, "Oh, how long ago did you move here? Or where do you work?" But it's interesting to meet these people, and everyone's friendly, and like the drivers jumping in, and like it. It's just it, yeah, feels it, it better. feels better.
1: It feels it feels organic. Um, but it's like, uh you know, it, it's intimate, organic. And I bet we could, we could uh, tech crunch this. We're hyper-local, <laughs> we're somo-loco, or whatever. Oh, we're God. social, mobile, and local. Meet, meet the somo-loco? We are somo-loco, yeah. yeah meet so-mo, the new millennial so-mo-lo-po.
0: somo-locals.
1: We're, we were somo-co, and now we're lomo-so. Uh, <laughs> and we're making the world a better place.
0: Yuppie, a well paid young middle class professional who works in a city job and has a luxurious lifestyle.
1: The task of applying to jobs and like hearing back and interviews, and it's all just like this corporate bullshit that I don't want to partake in. I just want to mm-hmm. live a life of leisure. I never want to. <laughs> I, ne- I just want to have like a basic income and, you know, sit around, work out, play guitar, sleep till 10. Like, these, this is what I want
0: make some things, put them on the internet.
1: Yeah. Like live a life of like star Trekky and leisure.
0: Uh that's kind of what I want too. at uh, the interview. The interview process is kind of a miserable one. Now having, I did like four this week more. Uh, it's just like, it's such a numbers game and it's so, it's all bluffing. You know, the employer's bluffing. You're kind of bluffing. You're both trying to figure yep. out to what extent you're both, you're kind of both bluffing. Um, And just crappy questions and uh, it's just gross. Tyson was actually talking to me about this because he started to apply to places and he was like, I really want to work somewhere else. I just don't want to go through this whole three month uh, schmooze fest. And I was like, yeah, it's just horrible. It's just a bunch of dick measuring and it's not fun.
1: Yeah. No. And I feel like I'm like whatever job you put me in, I feel like I could do, but I don't know how to express that to you. It's like I have the ability to learn anything. Like, you know, like I, whatever job you give me, like the more, the sooner you just put me there and see if I can do it, the sooner we'll figure out if I can do it. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no like, you could look at my resume and see like, oh, you know how to do blah blah blah, and I'm like, oh I have some experience doing blah blah blah, and it's like, well, we do something similar that's bad, and it's like, <laughs> well, just give me the job on like a trial basis on like a th- on a two month trial basis, and then we'll, you know, we'll we'll see if it works out. Why is it so like? you either have this job or you don't like indefinitely going forward at one point you know i guess i don't want i don't want to be in a position where i'm just going to like have a performance review every month and see if i'm going to going to get fired because i'm not learning fast enough but like i don't feel unconfident un- about my ability to just learn whatever job i'm doing like it it doesn't matter if i'm like digging ditches or like advising the president like i just need to do that job to see if i can do it
0: right well and it's funny because Oh, let's see. I mean, I come from... So I don't come from the tech world. I come from academia and wherever. And so I'm interviewing at a lot of tech companies now. And, you know, I'm very upfront about what I know and what I'm good at. And like you said, uh, I'm a good learner. I feel like I could learn any job, et cetera, that whole spiel. Um, Yeah. But I had an interview with a particular tech company where, you know, I I gave that whole spiel. I gave him those three bullet points. Um, And then his response was like, "Uh, uh, I'm going to pass you on to the next the next interviewer, Um, you know. But but before you do that, if I were you, I mean, I mean, I would buy try and read a book on product management. Um, I would take this online course on uh, web analytics and X, Y, Z. And it's like, dude, I don't I don't work for you, first of all. Two, I want yeah. this job, but yeah, that sounds like great stuff to learn if I get the job. I don't even know, even know if I right. have the job yet. I'm not going to put 20 hours into preparing for your next interview. If you don't want me, yeah. you don't want me, but this is absurd. Like, <laughs> Yeah.
1: No, 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 I, I, I totally agree. It's like, why would I have to learn stuff for the job that I might not get? Like, put me in the job, and then uh, I'll see if that stuff is relevant to me. Like, do, well, how would you know, like... You know, he's telling you to read he's telling you to read a, pr- a product management book. It's like, "Well, am I am I doing a product management job? What is it what would that entail? <laughs> what specific job do you have in mind where that knowledge is paramount?" Like just like, "Oh, j- it, it, yeah, I get that. It's like life advice, you know, going forward yeah. into the job market, but not for like the next interview." Right, no. <laughs> you for... know what you want and you know what you're going to ask me. Like uh. like it's like you're studying for a test. It's like, "All right, we're going to quiz you on this book." Um, in the next interview so make sure you read it by then it's like no
0: that's not how this works that's not how any of this works right it's so dumb and like uh, the whole thing is just dumb and yeah so I've had one or two tech interviews like that where it's like you know if you think I'm that unqualified you shouldn't have called me obviously you called me because you had no better options and you know yeah. I, I, I'm, I feel like I'm a, a Craigslist used car I mean it's like I come as is man like I'm I'm bettering myself and adding skills and stuff like that but you're not going to you, you know you're not going to get what you don't see i don't know Ugh.
1: yeah i'm, I'm not going to fill the exact void like you know there's some there's some companies like google or whatever it's like we need someone who knows like this architecture and like has worked at one of these three companies like we have a very specific task role that we need to fill sure you know it's not like we have like a data analytics job and we need someone who knows data it's like no we need someone who knows like r- server-side ruby uh mm. and has dealt with like In confidentiality and authorization like you know we have like we need like one guy who knows like one thing and like but for those jobs they kind of know who they're interviewing for it's like okay I did this at Oracle I did I did this at Google and so now Amazon wants to hire me for like doing the same thing but when you're just like when it's such a broad field as like data science right you know it doesn't really matter where you're coming from like you're gonna have to learn like 50 percent or more of what you're doing once you get in
0: I've seen news articles that claim 80 percent 80% 80% of it's going to yeah. be on the job. Yeah. Which which is
1: not like, of course, it's going to be like on the job. You know, uh, when I went to college, I learned how to learn. Like, yeah, I learned some skills. I learned, took some pr- courses in like, you know, product ma- or, you know, project management and took some math courses and I took some chemistry courses or whatever. But I learned also like how to learn a new thing. So if you have a job that needs someone who knows how to learn quickly and then can do that job from then on, like... I'm your guy, but I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that until you like give me the job. Like we're both, we both don't know if I can do the
0: job. So there's only really one way to find out. Yeah, give me the job, and give me whatever. Yeah. Give me the job. Give me a lower salary. Give me three months. I mean, this is where like the ideas of an internship, which are pretty common in the tech world, make a lot of sense, right? But yeah, for sure, it becomes abused very easily, and there's all kinds of. That's a whole other topic.
1: I feel confident in my ability to do most jobs in the world (laughs) you know like i feel confident unless unless i am you know most entry-level positions at any institution in the entire world i feel like i could do well at Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't matter if it's like business policy science you know design uh sales customer service like i feel like i could do something that's entry level better than 99% 99% of other people applying for entry level positions, you know, so it's like, it's not exactly what you need as a company, but you have to look at the field where you're hiring for this job, right? Like, go- the head of Google brain is not going to go be a data scientist for Uber, right? You're not, no. you don't get to skim off the top, right? So you're you're taking from the same pool of entry level professionals that everybody else is. And so you just want to find the best entry level professional, right you don't want to find like the perfect position for that job it's like you want to out compete everybody else for the smartest people in that pool you know whether they can do the job or not is yet unknown but you know there's right. only one way to find out and so if you pick the best one your your chances of them working out in that job are better
0: right i i read i've read a couple of interesting articles about this where they talk about how companies like the big 4 abuse this um so like google and stuff like that i mean what what they essentially do right is like google will wait and let you know startup x take the risk and they'll hire entry-level data scientist parker and this yep. this startup will hire entry-level data scientist parker and work with him for two years and by the time you're you know two years in you are a fully competent employee you're, they're probably finally starting to see returns on their investment right. in you as an employee then google will be like oh you have two years experience in a data science role you know here's a six-figure salary come work for us yeah and then you, as a data scientist, are like,
1: for sure, yeah, yeah let's do that. It sounds Google. way better
0: than a company that might die tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you have sleep pods. Yeah, I'm in. And like, yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and like, and I mean, that's kind of distinct for these companies because, I mean, they they're forced to take uh, less qualified people to start, and then by the time they're qualified, um, they're fighting with the biggest names in the business to just keep you around. Yeah.
1: No, I mean, that's, that's why, that's why like acquisition, if you're a startup, I feel like that's the goal is like, that's the exit, you know, is acquisition, you know, get acquired and then we all win, right? We all get jobs at Google. (laughs) If we start Nest and then we get acquired by Google, we just all, they just bought out the whole, it's like they came in and gave everybody a six-figure salary to keep doing the same thing that they were doing, now just like with more money. I mean maybe I'm a total sellout maybe I'm just like looking for a cushy job maybe I'm a programmer you know maybe (laughs) I'm just like looking for the job at Hooli where I can like (laughs) eat slushies and like work out at the gym like and all my meals are paid for and I make like you know a decent salary and live in San Francisco like maybe that's what I want but uh I'm also not like gonna go start the next Uber tomorrow so I'm not I'm not like giving up this huge opportunity cost by like getting bought out and like you know getting corporatized or whatever like
0: I think that's what you should strive for. I think I think people should strive to make the next uh, feature, you know, for these companies for the whatever it is. Like, look at all the the self driving car startups that have now been bought by all of the big car makers. You know, yeah. And now even more are popping up because it's still profitable to have a startup that does self driving car stuff from scratch. Um. And yeah, you're yeah. just aiming to be acquired. And I don't, I don't personally see anything wrong with that. I get the sellout. Um, analogy. I think we have like a weird, I don't know. I think especially America has this like weird stigma against sellouts. It's something about being like the self made bootstraps business, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like and just being bought out. Spirit. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're giving it up. Like you, you built your dream and then you're giving it up. And it's like, no, you know, selling this dream is going to fund the next 50. So, yeah.
1: No, exactly. No, we should all be building our zip twos. We should all be building our our Elon Musk starter company, you know, with a couple guys. And that's what, like, you go to these, like, you know, meetups or, you know, incubator places or, you know, university clubs about, you know, startup clubs and things like that. And they're all like, they're all like, what makes what makes Tesla special? It's oh like, what God. do you mean, what makes Tesla special? Like, none of us are going to, like, we can't just distill Tesla down into, like, a two-page memo that we can just distribute to, you know, engineers, and they'll come up with the next Tesla, like, based on these bullet points, you know? <laughs> no. We're not going to distill down in in half an hour, like, oh, that's how Tesla worked. Okay, let's just apply that theory to every idea we had, and then we'll all be billionaires. And it's like, no, how do you make, like, a little thing that works and you can sell for you know pennies compared to what like all these giant companies are worth but it's still like it's still exactly the 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 model like you don't start with tesla (laughs) like that's just not where you that's not where you put your eggs you know pick a smaller basket
0: yo yeah you want to be a, a big fish in a little pond yeah exactly all right so back to interviews a bit have you experienced the hr screener yet A
1: little bit. Yeah, a lot of these people, like at the career fairs and stuff, they're they're HR people, and so you get a lot of the screener there. They just want to know that, like, you know what the company does, and you know they're not an engineer, so it's like I, I could tell you that I've done X, Y, and Z engineering things, but like that doesn't really mean anything to you as an HR person. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, give me the give me the HR screener stories.
0: Yeah, I mean, I just have had a lot of these now, and well, it's funny because companies take have different cultures; they take different approaches, and uh, some companies put you through the HR screener first right? And then you talk to someone in your department and then they fly you out. That's kind of the general thing. Other companies will have you just talk to the department people first. The HR screeners though are just, yeah, they're miserable. They don't know any technical details. And it's not like, it's not like I'm saying this as in like, oh, I'm above you because I know the technical stuff here. It's like, I'm applying for a technical job. How, how can I possibly convey to you in a half an hour that I'm the right person for this technical job when I can't um talk about the technical details on any sort of level that i'm at because you're an hr person you know and it's just like so they ask you these silly questions why do you want to work for this company xyz well here's the next step blah 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 and it just it's such a waste of time do you think they're weeding out crazy people Do do you think they just
1: like call you to make sure you're not like insane i feel like that's a lot of it i feel like they just kind of want to talk to you uh it doesn't really matter what your resume says
0: i don't see how that couldn't be done uh by a competent person in the in the the technical field yeah Uh, you know i I don't see why that couldn't be done that way and also i find the position kind of fascinating like uh, there are people that have careers as technical recruiters yep what the hell is that you just like get good at picking out people who have skills that you don't have yeah. Like, I I see all these people and they always want to connect and they're always like, like one of them is, oh, Parker, you know, we're not going to, you're not the right fit for this job at this time, but I, I'd urge you to connect with me on LinkedIn as I'm a technical, a technical recruiter with a huge network and I could help yeah, help you find your next say. job. And it's <laughs> like, what? Like, what? You're just like, this is just a, yeah. weird, I don't know, this position is just fascinating to me. Yeah, no, they're collecting you. They're trying to get,
1: um I feel like there's a lot of confirmation bias in those, in those positions too, because it's like you know when it doesn't work out like if you if you if they like if they like get you hired somewhere uh and it doesn't work out like you know they're like oh well you know i couldn't have done anything about that like you just wasn't right for the job but then when you find them or when a technical recruiter like Give somebody a great employee, and and then they're like, oh yeah, yeah, I I, I was the I was the linchpin there. I uh, found out this person, made sure they were had the right stuff to, to go work at this company. You know, right? Like, give me props for, for that. I feel like there's a lot of confirmation bias in those in those kind of recruiting circles.
0: Can,
1: uh, can we talk about like what a job? is like i feel like we have to go one level deeper here i think we have to spin our tops one and we level have deeper. to see like yeah what 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 actually is a job because i think i think most of us are in agreement that like a lot of people do nothing all day like a lot right. of people are on reddit and uh you know they they work 40 hours 40 hours a week you know nine to five at the at the job um and don't necessarily do a whole lot uh and, and and then and then you have like this this uh kind of politician speak for what a job is. Like this is going to create, you know, ten thousand jobs or a hundred thousand mm-hmm. jobs or I love when they get into the millions of jobs figure. <laughs> like <laughs> this will create over twenty years, this will create five million jobs. That's it's like what jobs. what does that mean? Like five million people? Like what are they gonna do all day, every day? does it does it require 5 million people working <laughs> full time to do that thing like right. i i don't i think you're approaching this from the wrong side i think if you just like throw money at people like at, you just call that a job and and i don't know if anything's really getting done but but it's 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 like this politician speak for you know economic
0: growth like you're going to have a job
1: i don't think people want jobs they want money
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think this is—it's just a stupid way of talking about. I mean, I don't know much about the economy, but this just seems like the dumbest way you could possibly talk about uh, growing the economy. I mean, if the if the if the purpose is to create jobs, then let's make fifty thousand jobs with people moving rocks back and forth in a room. Right, um, right. And we'll pay them to do it. You know, we we could have them move rocks, or we could just give them the money and call it welfare. I mean, if the yeah. point is just to give people work. So they can get paid, then let's just give them money rather than meaningless work.
1: No, no. And then and then most conservatives will be like, well, you don't understand value and you don't understand wealth creation and things like that. And it's like a lot of the economy right now is people putting together one thing in a factory and then people at another place taking that thing back apart. Like, yeah, there's value created when you like, uh, you know, have something that people use and then pass around and then gets recycled or whatever. Like there is some value there, but a lot of the economy is like... People putting together a thing over here, and then it gets used, and then people take it back apart over here, and some of the time it doesn't even get used in the middle. Sometimes, like, it's just, like, a bunch of junk uh, that nobody buys, and then it has to be recycled or whatever, and so I totally agree with you that, like, you know, if, if the goal is jobs, if the goal <laughs> is, like, give, some, <laughs> give people something to do all day... And then pay them for it. Yeah, just rocks in a room. Like, sounds like a perfect solution. Like, there's not a yeah. lot of overhead.
0: <laughs> there's not a <laughs> right. lot of. You uh... don't care if they break. There's a low capital investment.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. And, and we're, we're moving towards that point where we're just making shit up for people to do um, because of the social Darwinian idea that everybody has to earn a living. And that, like, if you don't spend 40 hours a week at some drudgery, your kids don't get to eat. But, like, most people sit at their desks. You know, there's a lot of people. Obviously, like, if you're making good money like you're doing stuff all day and like i want to work you know 70 hours a week i'm all for uh doing something like that but i've had jobs where i'm like you know there's not really anything for me to do right now and i have no incentive to go tell somebody like that i'm not doing anything right now because i'll get paid less or they'll fire me or cut my hours or whatever it's like i'm just right. gonna sit here and look busy i think a lot of it's fucking looking busy like you know this is not a new this is not a new phenomenon uh office space has talked about this you know and put Mm. it in a hilarious way There's like most people just don't really do what would you say it is you do here i don't think most people have like a (laughs) solid answer for that i think most people just kind of sit in a cubicle and go on reddit a lot
0: yeah and, and then there's then there's the whole issue of people um having jobs that you know or they're doing things but they're they're essentially akin to moving a rock in a room like what function are you really serving you know you're doing stuff all day but are you being productive for the company or are you being or, or are you just busy um in the yeah. in, uh nick Bostrom's super intelligence i really like he has a small paragraph where he talks about um the potential for ai to maybe alleviate some of this and one of the examples he brings up is you know instead of paying programmers by the hour which is a completely useless you know way too distant or of a of a metric that doesn't mean anything for the company you could have you know an ai that measures their productivity um in terms of you know company output you know what is their code actually lead yeah. to in terms of productivity and, and revenue for the company and then um compensating people based on that or doing their time based on that, you know, um, I don't yeah. know. I think interesting problems
1: I think yeah, I think I think uh, with, with, with like tasks like it, it's not about jobs It's about tasks like what what needs to get done What should people be doing is the more important question to be asking than like what what can we have people do It's like what needs doing? you know uh, trucking like people yeah, we need to move stuff from A to B but if you make all those trucks autonomous and then make a bunch of people unemployed there's not less stuff moving from A to B it's costing pennies of electricity uh, to do that you know and so we we have just as much abundance as we did before so you can just give those people the money that they would have made otherwise and then you just do this pervasively throughout the whole economy you know give people a basic income and not force them to like move rocks around in a room uh and and but then real tasks like you know designing rockets and stuff like you get paid more like you can go do a real job but it's a task like it's a here's here's the tasks that we do uh in this position and like if the tasks are done like our job is done and we just like go do something else like there's no there's no like hourly like metric here that i think is Like very valuable, and most salaried positions aren't hourly. Like you just go, and that's your that's your one job. You know, there's no like cap on it. You just like if stuff needs to get done, you do it,
0: and if it doesn't need to get done, you get to go home. Sure, I mean, I think a lot of the problems with the using the jobs metric is it's a great way of assessing how well the economy is doing. Sure, what percentage of the population is employed or unemployed? How many jobs have been created? That's a great way of assessing how well. The economy is doing yeah. post hoc. Um, but it's been like co-opted by politicians as a way of saying that they're going to improve the economy, which it just totally doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. It doesn't work as an optimization factor. You know, it's not like, oh, there are more jobs. Therefore, the economy is doing better. Well, then if I create jobs, I'm improving the economy. No, it doesn't work in reverse. Yeah. It's a post hoc. Right. You know, you can't use this to guide yeah. the machine.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and I think a lot of people, too, like... In theory, the the only uh, people listening to that and who should be excited about, like, job creation are unemployed people, which is, like, right. 5% of the population. So, like, that's not... It's not, like, a huge... It's not, like, a... I mean, it's a pretty big chunk of people, but it's not a huge chunk of voters. Like, if you have a full-time job, like, and you're making money, like, the amount of jobs available to unemployed people is not really necessarily a good metric for you to gauge, like, your economic success. You know, if you feel that everybody around you has a job, like, that doesn't really give you as much information as, like, did my wages go up last year? You know, that's a better metric of the economy. Like, wages uh, going up and uh, abundance being created and, like, ability to, like, fund welfare programs. Like, these are much better metrics of the economy than just, like, number of jobs uh, created. Especially, like, when you talk project to project, you know, like, uh, I think people when they see, like, a new pipeline or something, and it's like, oh, it's going to create thousands of jobs. It's like, no, it's going to create thousands of tasks for people to do temporarily, and then those are gone. And so, like, right. you're not creating a bunch of jobs. Like, you may be creating some maintenance jobs that are, like, continual, but you're creating tasks for things to do. And so, like, if we go back to the... We have to go back... We have to go a level deeper. We have to say, like, hmm. what tasks should we be doing? Right.
0: So do you think... Um, do you think politicians in general or maybe particular ones do you think that they're aware that this is kind of a silly thing to bring up but they bring it up because it resonates with working people or do you think that they honestly you know they're do you think the chief obama economic advisor was hammering on jobs or do you think this was a speechwriter thing
1: i no, i mean it's definitely i mean it's definitely an economist thing it's definitely a real metric that you can you know when you say the this month the economy created a hundred thousand jobs, or whatever. Right, like that's a real thing. That's a you know, and it's a, it is a metric. But yeah, uh, I think as far as like job creation, um, and projects and like funding for job creation is definitely like a stump speech politician talk to. I, and I I honestly don't know who it appeals to. It's it's not millennials. It's, no, it's 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 people who it's people who, uh, you know, it's older people who got a middle class job at the time with just a high school diploma and like back then i think it made a lot more sense to say like that you know here's the jobs or if if you expand the number of jobs like more people will be able to get a job because like most people educate you're, you're getting a job was less contingent upon your education and more just on the availability of jobs and so, and now it's 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 clearly uh, the reverse. Clearly, like your ability to get a job is contingent upon your education and mm-hmm. and skills, rather than just the amount of jobs that there are. It's crazy. It's it's crazy. It blows my mind that like that that jobs is like the is like the buzzword. Is it's just like it's about creating
0: jobs. It's right. like the wall.
1: The That's... fucking the fucking Trump wall <laughs> will create a lot of jobs.
0: Yeah, and it's exactly like moving rocks back and forth that's exactly, exactly what it is it's exactly what exactly. building the wall is.
1: It's literally just moving rocks around in the desert like yeah. it'll create lots of jobs but there's no like economic direct economic value benefit to the economy for having a bunch of concrete in the desert that wasn't there before
0: let's call the, the wall what it is it's a conservative welfare program yeah i'm sick exactly of these. <laughs> it's exactly what it is
1: yeah, people have to, instead of just giving people the money, like, you have to make them sweat for it, and you have to, like, use up a bunch of natural resources. You know how much oil and concrete there's going to just,
0: like, end up in the desert because of that thing? It's like when your grandma, you know, has you pick up sticks in the yard for 20 bucks because you want to get that toy when you're in middle school. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh you, you, people, you people need some money. Uh, I could think of something for you to do. Go uh, put those right. rocks over there
1: yeah no I used to yeah I used to do like odd jobs whatever like around the uh and, and not not nearly as much because I think my parents were fairly progressive in that they just gave me an allowance right they gave me a basic income oh. and it worked out super well it taught me it taught me how to like manage money and like you know I, I did whatever they need I w- it was like a salaried position um, <laughs> being a child in my parents houses but it wasn't strenuous at all like I you know unload the dishwasher when you get home mow the lawn occasionally uh play nice with play nice with your your brothers and sisters but like it was it was it made so much more sense than them just inventing things for me to do to get money because I wanted I wanted to you know I wanted to make money I wanted an income and so like you know it, it's really no skin off my parents nose if they give me like five bucks a week as like a 12 year old to just you know have an income and, and not have to, like, pick up sticks in the yard. Like, that makes sense. They just give me a basic income because there's no skin off their notes. They, right. Right? They're doing fine. <laughs> they have abundance. Like, it's not going to be, like, affecting the family bottom line oh, God. Uh, to just give our kids an income. Right. Well, not the case for every, everyone, obviously. But No, no, for sure. But, but for the government, yes. <laughs> for the government, right. definitely, like, we can just kind of, we still have abundance. We have more food than people can eat. We throw away a lot of it. Um. yet people are still hungry like this is this is just like a resources movement problem this is not and we get bogged down in this idea that like we have to work to eat it's like no you could completely decouple those things now we have automation and uh factory farming and like all this stuff like we have scary ways of creating abundance that do not require like manual labor
0: So we wrote our first blog post and I always find this process hilarious, which like you're putting a piece of yourself out there on the internet, like there's like, you know, you yeah. care about what you're putting out there and there's like a little bit of like nervousness of like, what do I say, what do I don't say? But it's this thing whenever you're doing something like that or whenever you're, you're writing something that's gonna go out to other people or, or or something like that, when you get the edits back, I always go through the same cycle where, I, so I got the edits back from you on my first draft, of my blog post and I open it up and I read the comments and the first thing I think as I read through is, well, fuck you well (laughs) uh, well fuck you you didn't even you didn't even get this point well fuck you you don't you don't get it and i just like i I wrote down the whole thing like reading them all and i was kind of like that and like kind of conceding on some and kind of like fuck you and then i like put it down and i um uh went and worked on something else and then i came back to work on it and i actually started like addressing your points and like writing like you know trying to solve those problems like solve what you had said and then and add to my post and write stuff on it and then i read it afterwards i'm like oh wow those comments are actually really good and it's like way better now it's yeah. way better but I always go through that same thing where yeah, anytime you yeah, get criticism yeah. your immediate gut reaction is well I just my brain is just gets pissed
1: yeah no I'm with you I'm with you man it's just an ego thing it's just ego just comes right out and just like well fuck you ah no I don't think it's, I don't think that is a problem so uh yeah. and it's my post so it's just like you can just be super ornery <laughs> right away yeah. I totally and then you
0: it. and then you're like well maybe let's just try it and see how it sounds and then you're like oh uh it's kind of better it's better
1: yeah also <laughs> editing is like a thing that you know it doesn't matter if you're Kurt Vonnegut, like if you don't edit and draft, you know, you're not going to get accepted by your articles are not going to get accepted by the New Yorker. Like Mm. it doesn't matter if you're writing shitty blog posts or, you know, a world famous author writing an op-ed in the New York times, like they're going to reject the first couple that you send. Like, it doesn't matter. Uh, You have to draft, you have to edit, you know, editors are like super valuable. You know, every person who's ever written a novel or a book, you know, just like has a super good relationship with their editor because like they know they're on the same team. Um, and like the editor is like going to give it to them straight, um, but they also want to make a sweet ass book. So like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a high in- emotional intensity thing to have your work critiqued, but it's super valuable. Like, you know, being able to, being able to like incorporate comments is just like always valuable in anywhere in life. I feel like.
0: Mm so you ended up writing a bit about uh, uh the why of local maxima why right. um and i some of the stuff as i look through this is like stuff i remember i've i feel like i've heard from you for like jesus like four or five years we know yeah. each other that long like like the this this whole idea um of like scream, like opening doors and screaming yep Yeah. So I guess how how, if you could summarize it, what would you say about it? Like, what would you say about, you know, you're telling somebody like, why do this? Why start? Give us the, you know, thesis of your of the why.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm going to read the like second half of the second paragraph, which is um, our societal metacognition is at an all time low and the ability to make compromise and move towards shared goals is increasingly hampered by intellectual dishonesty flawed internal models of reality and a lot of times just plain meanness as we move forward through this century ideas are going to start pouring in from new and unexpected places machines and AI will begin to weigh in the lowly Indian farmer and the president of the United States will both get a say and we have to have a mechanism to figure out which ideas are better usually that mechanism is talking about it so like that's what we're that's what we're doing you know we're talking about it Uh, society gets stuck in these little you know. know these little pockets like where any other direction you move you go downward and that's what a local maxima is and we're gonna have to spend a bunch of money to uh figure out renewable energy so that we can get off fossil fuels like clearly that's a better option clearly like you know energy production is a good and uh there's an ideal way to do it there's a probably a global maxima so but any way we do it we have to take a step downward um and this is the same for online dating this is the same for um politics this is the same for just uh you know fitness and uh pretty much every aspect food um you know we had stuck in the local maxima of just creating a bunch of corn and then turning that into corn syrup and then mm. turning that into cheeseburgers and like getting people to eat that um which right. is like it, you know these these weird we get caught in these weird pockets as a society and to get out of work it's yeah. work
0: and it's fucking hard and it's not what's comfortable it's uncomfortable and yeah. it's uh yeah life is effort right <laughs> Yeah, we'll stop when we die. Yeah, it has to be the way it is.
1: And things are gonna get. Sometimes things are gonna have to get worse before they get better. You're gonna have to take a step downward. You're gonna have to spend money, spend time, uh, go through some hardships. You know, argue with some people, piss some people off. um, You know, tear some stuff down to keep going back to the data science uh, applications of it. Like you have to restart your initial conditions if you want to end up in a different spot. Right? If you have the same algorithm, but you want to end up in a different spot, you have to restart your initial conditions. So you know that's what we gotta do. And it's, like, a lot of the local maxima, like, it is better, right? Like, cars are, you know, being able to drive anywhere in the world is, like, kind of a cool thing. Like, this is this is a pretty solid idea if it doesn't have, like, all these negative externalities. Um, you know, algorithmically, uh, finding someone you're compatible with is preferable uh, than just, like, meeting somebody at a bar. But also, you know, Tinder sucks. So, like, mm-hmm. the ideal is good, but we're stuck in somewhere that's not... Um, you know, a better realization of that ideal, and we could get, we could move from local maxima to local maxima. Um, you know, the the algorithms are finding the high points. You know, that's really the best you can do. But you have to be able to look back or step back and say, you know, this is not ideal. How do you think we could make this better? Is there, you know, can we conceive of a higher local maxima somewhere in the in the space? You know, and let's try to get there.
0: Right. And that, that takes that takes work and time and thought. And what you don't wanna do. You wanna just keep doing things the way they've been done. Oh.
1: So what do you uh what do you think we're doing here? Like what do you what are we doing here, Parker? Oh we're making God. a thing. We're making a podcast. I'm like telling people I have a podcast and like giving out business cards. Is
0: that kind of weird? Yeah, I saw you doing that. I know that's super important, but I always feel that's always that's something that I have a hard time doing. I'm not. Yeah,
1: no, it's terrifying. It's fucking. It's horrible.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think that's especially hard um, with something like a podcast too, or any type of like artistic output. You know, it's the one thing to say, look, I'm making this app and I'm gonna save the world. Everyone's like, oh, I, you know, oh, cool. Like if it happens or not, that's cool. You're trying to do that. I think we you produce art or if you produce something like a podcast i feel like the default is oh you're, you're putting this out because you are so self-indulged or you know what right. i mean like look at you me think, listen to me yeah yeah you think you have important things to say that other people should listen to look at me um look at this and i i really that's something i struggle with and but and i but i at the end of the day, I don't think that's what it's about. No, um, I think I think like the kinds of conversations that we'll have on here. I feel like when I'm out at a bar with friends, those are the best conversations I have out and about. Um, yep. And like when I get close to a, when I meet some new people and we're friends and we're talking about this kind of stuff and like being honest and check yeah checking your ego at the door and just talking about shit that comes up in your life without feeling like you can't talk about it or without. Um, a filter, uh that's where that's just the gold. And then, like, the, I like the idea of sharing that and like having ha- having a podcast like that. um And if people don't like it, they don't have to like it. And I think some people might listen to it. And it's it's like you have, you're at a bar, and you're sitting with friends at a bar, and you're just shooting the shit, but you're talking about stuff you care about. You know, where else do you talk about shit? How do I how do you date people in 2017? And yeah, I, what the fuck? How do you pick? I don't want to pick up a girl at a bar because I feel like I'm Donald Trump. But if I swipe right on Tinder, I feel like my entire life is shallow. And yeah, like like. That's stuff that's, like, worth talking about and, like, stuff that's up in the air and there is no solution.
1: Yeah. And, yeah, the only solution is talk about it. And I think we would be having these conversations anyway. Like, we would want to stay in touch. I'm super impressed with the, like, lack of latency. Our connection has been amazing uh, so far. It's
0: Hawaiian Wi-Fi, man.
1: That, that Hawaii Wi-Fi. That Hawaii-Fi.
0: Hawaii-Fi. Oh,
1: <laughs> and so we would be having these conversations anyway. And we learned, we've learned we learned so much doing like creating a site, you know, because we Definitely. you have to you have to think about so much stuff. You have to have a Twitter, a Facebook, a SoundCloud, a you know, Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, you know, YouTube channel, newsletter, run the site. Uh and then their audio engineering on this side. Like I've learned so much about audio editing and, you know, setting this stuff up. And like I'm I'm really proud of just like how we sound. Like it's not it's not trivial to like set this kind of stuff up. It's getting easier obviously and it's not terribly expensive. But it's you got to learn stuff and it's it's fun when it works um, yeah and it can be yeah. super frustrating like it can be it can be mine you tear your hair out frustrating when this kind of stuff doesn't work and so when it works and you just like get in the flow of creating good audio content it's pretty fun
0: yeah it's it's like a paradox because it's easier nowadays than ever to start something like this but that doesn't mean it's easy
1: right it's not free that's that's like it's it's the difference between cheap and free and I think it's an important distinction I want it to be cheap I don't want it to be free
0: yeah and it, it takes a lot of work um to get all the stuff out there and hopefully people enjoy it and some people won't and if they don't that's fine um, yeah totally Um, but I think I think some people will and I think like you said nowadays I listen to so many podcasts and my favorite ones are the conversational ones yeah where they're talking to people because it's it's fun to listen to this American life and stuff like that and it's cool and every once in a while it's like going you know to see a blockbuster movie but like I think it's fun to get to know people and i love the conversational podcast because i feel like you're sitting at a bar with friends and you're just being quiet listening Mm -hmm. and that's what i'm fucking having the best time at a bar or friends at at a bar or out with friends or doing anything like just listening to what other people have to say and um feeling like you're part of the community and you have a say at the table too
1: yeah that's another thing is like i you know i respect all the people that i listen to on podcasts um because we spend so much time with them and like i want to contribute to that conversation like I just want to be like I could do this like I can contribute we're having similar conversations like you know and and I feel like a lot of the people who make podcasts would applaud that decision to like make our own podcast you know so it's it's self-validating in the best way
0: right and it's it is that it's this weird thing where when you listen to so many podcasts um you start to get that itch right you get that itch of like I, you kind of start to see like underneath the curtain you know like Wizard of Oz like what's going on here how does it work what did they they cut this here and you kind of see it and then once you start seeing that stuff how they're doing it and why it's good once you like learn how to like once you get taste once you develop a taste for good podcasts you like or anything you immediately also start to develop like this desire to want to do it yourself and I think yep. so I think there's definitely that itch being scratched of like yeah this podcast might not be the best thing ever uh for the first you know who knows dozen episodes or whatever or it's gonna evolve over time um but i know what a good podcast is yeah you know what i mean Um, and
1: we're gonna and I feel work like, towards that
0: yeah yeah and i feel that way for a lot of things um uh like youtube videos and and um my own personal life and stuff like that and it's like yeah it's not there yet but i know what the goal is and as long as i know what the goal is i have an itch and then you know you have you have what you need to work
1: Yeah, and doing this stuff, like, the only way to get good at this stuff is by doing it. And if you ever want to do it more, like, you just have to do it more. (laughs) If you ever wanted to, like, you know, be an intern at This American Life or, like, go work for Relay FM or, you know, if you wanted to get into this world, they'd be like, okay, what have you made? You know, it's like, oh, I haven't made anything yet. But it's like, well, then you don't really love podcasting, do you? Um, Yeah. And now I'm not saying I'm going to go be a professional prog- podcaster, but it is kind of like, this is something I would like myself to be good at. Like, it'd be fun to be good at this. Um, and uh, just like a worthy, it's a worthy use of our time. I can defend every minute, every second that tip, t- ticks away on that Skype call. Uh, I can defend every, every single one of them. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook.
0: Smash that like button.
1: We probably will never post stuff to Facebook other than to get you away from Facebook and to the site. Yeah, maybe,
0: maybe our maybe our Facebook page should just like post apocalyptic Facebook memes about like how it's all going to end soon. <laughs> yeah. It's all going to end soon. Go to watch us on YouTube. It's all going down. This yeah, is it's gonna be whatever
1: we post on Facebook is going to be super tongue in cheek. I'm down with that. Um, subscribe to the newsletter. Like the newsletter is, you'll just get notified whenever something drops. It'll be like once a week, maybe. Yeah. Um, probably not. No, even that no much.
0: shit. And it's it's old school. Right to your inbox. Look at that.
1: Right. Right. Um. And I, I hold a very high. I hold the newsletters that I subscribe to in very high regard. Like I understand the uh, value of like a good newsletter, like a solid newsletter. Like if it's if I'm letting it into my email, like it's got to be good. It's got to it's got to pass the test. And so, hopefully. We'll make sure uh, we will make sure that ours passes the test. Um, finally, like listen to the podcast on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, wherever you get your wherever you get your podcasts. It's a very podcast thing to say. SoundCloud, on SoundCloud and YouTube.
0: Um, Check out the blog posts. Uh, yeah. The first two blog posts will be linked that we talked about a bit here. Um, and this is, the,
1: this is the second episode of two episodes that are posted now. So um, you know they kind of they kind of feed into each other, which is nice. Um, it's kind of a one-two double dose. Um, but yeah, they'll be coming down the pipeline whenever. Just subscribe. I love RSS. Love that standard.
0: Yeah, if you're old school, you're still crying about Google Reader. <laughs> we uh, we have an RSS feed. <laughs> Dave <laughs> Dave we, we feel you out there we know it we have one RSS subscriber
1: <laughs> I'm excited about the analytics too not for any sort of uh, like a B testing or popularity contest but it's just kind of fun to see like what you know well ooh, I mean somebody somebody in Europe like you know stumbled upon the post like that's cool yeah well
0: plus I mean we're collecting everything we can about them and we sell it in batch but
1: that's right that's right I um, think I think yeah I think, yeah, uh, I think um, we should just move everything to the dark net I think we're gonna have a dark net podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be the yeah. anti You'll, you'll anti find us right
0: between, right, right between the hitmen and the heroin.
1: Right. Uh, is is uh, local Maxima just selling our. i got our little bazaar or a little uh, little stand in the bazaar. Um, Stop on by. <laughs> yeah. We'll be talking about Apple products.
0: Well, <laughs> come, come on down. <laughs> I can't believe they put a dedicated voice button on the Galaxy S8.
1: <laughs> see, I'm not gonna talk about this with you. <laughs> Fuck. This is not a tech- this is not a tech podcast. <laughs> Did you see the Apple Pencil tap thing that they released in it? So how horrible is that? I don't know about uh, that company Apple, they seem to be going down. <laughs>